So today we are actually going to be starting. Do you mind turning me down a little bit? I feel like really loud in my. I feel loud in my own head, though. Okay, that is fine. So we're actually starting off on the uh, first week of Advent. And so the first week of Advent, a lot of people have it as expectation that they use as the first candle or symbol. I'm a, you know, I'm a wannabe Catholic, so naturally I go back to um, how it started, began. It was fourth century in France, but uh, um, the Catholic Church holds it to be hope. And so I like, I like that word better. Uh, and so we're going to use hope today. Um, and it just depends on your tradition. There's hope, there's expectation, there's arrival for the first week. So what is Advent and why do we celebrate it? I feel like so many evangelical churches, um, they, they like to decorate, they like to talk about Advent, they like to do these things, but why? What, is, what does the symbolism even mean? Why do we even celebrate this? Like, is this a tradition that we just do because we've always done it uh, and um, we've never really asked why? Um, to some extent, it came about from like Luther's era. It came about from the fourth century. This wasn't something the church always did. This is something that came later on. Um, but I still think there's some value in it. And so some of that value um, would be that it comes from the Latin word adventus, which meaning a coming or visit. Um, it is the beginning of the liturgical calendar for the year of Christians, which we as the evangelical church, we, depending on your denomination, at least here, city church being non-denominational, we really don't follow a calendar like a lot of um, doctrines would. So for instance, the Eastern Orthodox, they're gonna have a different calendar than how the Methodists would. Um, same with the Catholic calendar, it's a little different. But essentially what this calendar does is throughout the entire year, you worship God. Throughout the entire year, there's seasons of fast, there's seasons of feast, there's seasons of honoring certain things. Uh, and we kind of lose that in the evangelical church because uh, I think sometimes that we, we get really weird about sacrament, we get really weird about tradition. Um, and we miss out on the value of the, the worth of those things. And so what I mean by liturgical, in case you don't know what that is, uh, is it comes from liturgy, which means um, the forms or functions of public worship. So to some extent, technically, we do liturgy here at City Church. We just do it in a different way. We don't do it in the standard read and response sort of a way or even using scripture to um, accommodate the liturgy. And if you don't know, Good liturgy and appropriate liturgy is scripture. That's what it is. It's pretty much God saying God back to himself. It's just done in a way that could be sung or chanted or things like that. Um, but we tend to be like, oh, that's really boring. That's lame. But it's really fascinating. The fact that instead of trying to make our own worship the way that we think it sounds good or making a Taylor Swift pop song and then replacing the boyfriend's name with Jesus, you actually are honoring God because you're reciting God back to God. And so we celebrate Advent in order to remember the longing that the Jews had for the Messiah and our longing for and need of forgiveness, salvation, and a new beginning. And as much as we celebrate the birth of Christ in a humble stable, we also look forward anticipating the second coming of Christ as the fulfillment of all that was promised by his first coming. So we celebrate Advent to remind us how the God of all things humbly entered this world, enabling us to have unity with him and lives a life that we can model ourselves after, and I also would like to mention that culturally, we tend to celebrate or look at life in brief moments as opposed to a long progression. And so as Christians, very little scripture or God moving happens in quick spurts, uh, but is more often in long cycles. So for today, uh, it's a good reminder to celebrate and reflect on the entire month as opposed to a couple of days. And so this is another reason why I like to celebrate Advent is oftentimes we're just like, all right, we're just going to have our family for two days, we're going to celebrate Christmas Eve and Christmas, then we're done. 
well, we miss out on what the holiday is, and not just the holiday, we miss out on what the season is, and we miss out on the whole idea of honoring God throughout an entire month as opposed to just a few seconds. And what's nice about that is, say, you go to your family's house and maybe there's some bad political argument, or maybe your sports team doesn't win. You can still have a good holiday. You can still have a good season because it's not focused on one day or two days. It's focused on the entire month. And arguably, this goes on longer than just a month. And so if you follow the liturgical calendar, it'll go year-round. And so Advent symbolism, which I, I had no idea that we were decorating the church, and Dan and Zach did a really, really good job. I think the Korean church did the stuff in here. Um, but uh, on the outside, Dan and Zach did that. And so I was like, oh, man, I wonder if anyone's even going to care about why there's symbolism. And um, I know for my buddy uh, Lambert, um, he used to go here uh, and was a part of City Church. And then um, he grew a really good beard and long hair, so he became Eastern Orthodox. Now, I, I just spent time talking with him about history. Uh, and church fathers and stuff like that. And so he's actually going through um, his catechesis to become a catechumen in the Orthodox Church. But one of the things that was really important to him was the symbolism. And not just the symbolism, the smells, like when you enter into a Catholic church or an Orthodox church, the aroma that's there. And so stuff like that even, too, we tend to be like, okay, they're just going up and down, up and down, up and down, blah, 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 blah. When in fact what it is is it's whole worship. You physically are moving to worship God. There's songs that worship God. The smell worships God. Visually, you worship God. All your senses worship God. And so there is importance to the symbolism. So for a wreath, it's a perfect circle symbolizing the eternity of God. The candles that we have, which actually are up here right now, is that one white candle represents Christ, and four purple candles represents the virtue that Christ brings us, which are hope or expectation, love, joy, and peace. If you notice, they actually have a different color one there. Uh, it's a yellow one, and typically people will do that for joy. Um, it sometimes is pink. Um, they just pick a different color. But the um, white candle represents Christ. And so the hanging of greens, uh, and I was trying to think of a better way of saying this because all I could think of is just like, it's probably not what people think when I say hanging of greens, but the hanging of greens is the, the symbolize everlasting life. Uh, greens such as cedar for royalty, fir and pine bows for everlasting life. Holly symbolizing Jesus' death, which I'm glad Holly is not sitting in here right now because when I put that in, I was like, I hope she doesn't feel bad about her name. <laughs> but it, it symbolizes Jesus' death. And ivy representing the resurrection. And so this symbolism reminds us of whom we are called to be as followers of Christ. And some other information about the symbolism and Advent is that it began in France in the first fourth century, as I mentioned a little bit ago. Uh, and many traditions celebrate this time with penitence or feelings of sorrow or doing wrong and showing that you repent, uh, fasting, seriousness, reading of scripture, hearing and proclaiming scripture with sermons and songs, and remembering the waiting and longing we have for Christ to return. So I would encourage all of us to take this time to fast in some way, shape, or form. And during that time you fast, reflect, repent, read, hope, love, and be at joy and at peace with all things. And one of the things I try to live by is there's no peace without a fast. If all you do is feast every single day, you don't understand what a celebration is. You don't understand what a feast is. But when you fast and you take time away and you give thanks for that which you're fasting for, pray on behalf of those who do not have what you have, you tend to have a perspective change. And then when you do feast, that tends to be more. And you tend to, during those times of feast, do it in a moderate manner. You're not overindulging because you're taking the time to recognize what you have normally so when you go to celebrate, you go to feast, you're not just going to be a drunkard or anything like that. You're actually going to be responsible. And something that I think the evangelical church does lack is fasting. We, we do not 
hold this as a principle that we abide by weekly. And this is something as Christians, regardless of the church or denomination you're part of, this is, should be an active part of your life, is to fast. And so for some people, that may not be food. Say you have, like, um, you're a diabetic. That may not be something that you can just do on a daily basis, but you can do it from electronics. You can do it from video games. You can do it from, you know, watching TV or, or whatever it may be. Something that you really enjoy and love. Fasting is not um, giving up something that you probably shouldn't be doing. So say if you're eating a bunch of candy, you say, I'm going to fast from candy. No, that's just living healthy. That's not fasting. Fasting is something that is good for you. <laughs> fasting is something that is good for you. That you're saying, because it is good, I'm going to refrain from this. During, and during that time that I'm refraining from it, I'm going to praise God that I enjoy it so much because he created it for me to be, to be enjoyed. But I'm going to pray for people who maybe do not have this or see during this time how I can reflect and meditate with God and learn and be still with him. That time that you would take enjoying something that he created, you're now taking the time to enjoy with the creator. There's a difference there. And so I really don't think you know how to feast unless you know how to fast. But since I talked about um, Advent being a time of reading scripture and holding about Christ's return, um, I thought this would be an appropriate passage for Christ's returns. And this is uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. It goes like this. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive remain until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with our Lord. And so something I want to note here is that um, there's a lot to this verse, and I'm not going to get into it, I promise. Um, like, for instance, uh, how this could be a good passage to use for rapture theology. Uh, what does it mean by sleep? And why did the dead in Christ go first? There's a lot here to unpack. There's a lot here that we, the theologians and scholars still argue about today. So, as you know, like, I tend to not hold to rapture theology. And about 98% of scripture doesn't as well. But this is one of the few sections that does. But we can get caught up and argue about that. Or... Um, we could focus on the fact that, scripturally speaking, we have hope and eternity with Christ. And as much as we can get caught up in the theology, the history, the hermeneutic of scripture, it's the simple point that is being made that we can rest in, that Christ will return again, and we will be united with him and those throughout history that have followed him. This is the point of this passage. And so oftentimes we read in scripture, oftentimes we look at life, and we're like, okay, well, what does the Bible have to say about this? What does scripture have to say about this? And it doesn't give us a real clear response, but right here, uh, and so we shall always be with our Lord. Scripturally speaking, this is a pretty black and white thing. These are one of the black and white things that we can hold on to, is that we will have eternity with God. How that pans out, I don't know. I can't go into the past, and I also can't go into the future, but what I can say is that this is what Scripture says on our behalf, that regardless of how it pans out, we will be with God. And so that's something the, that provides hope for us in the returning of Christ, is that it is not on us. I'm going to push that point harder in a little bit, but that's what this passage is pointing to, is that the hope that we have in the resurrection of Christ, and not just the resurrection of Christ, the birth of Christ, but in the second coming of Christ, is that it's not on us. So if you are hopeless, if you're in a place of sorrow, or things just aren't working right, that's life, and God acknowledges that that's the state of the world, that there is hopelessness in it. But he doesn't say, hey, it's up to you to fix this. No, he says, I fix this. And if you depend on me, I will bring about that hope. 
And so again, this passage of scripture is countercultural to not just live for today, but tells us to have hope in the days to come that will have no end, that will have no pain, no sorrow, just Christ and his perfected creation. And so again, back to this whole thing is, you know, like in one essence, you have scripture that talks about, do not worry about what tomorrow brings, you know, for I take care of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, so therefore I'll take care of you. But that mentality is not just, well, forget what comes tomorrow, just, you know, do whatever you want today, blow all your money today. No, that's not, that's not what that passage is saying. What that passage is saying is live daily in a way that affects tomorrow, that affects the months to come. But don't focus on that. Focus on what you can do today. And so why may we lack hope? And is there an alternative to this hopelessness? And so one of the things and some of the things I thought about that uh, may cause a lack of hope, and believe me, this isn't the entire list of hopelessness, um, but Current world conditions can cause a lack of hope, or some would say godlessness in the world, or economic concerns, uh, disappointment in life, health, death, mental illness. Um, these are things that naturally um, can cause us to be hopeless, but there is an alternative, and this alternative is the Holy Spirit. And we can see this in Romans 15, 13, where it reads, Now may the God of hope fill you all joy and peace in believing, so you will abound in hope by the power of his Holy Spirit then we are called to stand out as people of hope in a hopeless world. This is also found in Romans 5, uh, 3 through 5. We also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God is poured out within our hearts through his Holy Spirit who is given to us. And so hope is not on us, but is in Christ and the Spirit that can be graciously residing in us. And what I like is that scripture doesn't deny that hopelessness tends to be the worldly norm, but God takes it upon himself to place hope within us. And this is a radical relief. And the reason why this is a radical relief is because to be hopeless and to be understood and heard by God is a nice feeling, right? To know that as you feel hopeless, as you feel like things around you are crumbling, as you may have sorrow, God doesn't deny these things and just say, oh, get over it, be positive. No, there's an acknowledgement here that it, it is a fallen world. It is a broken world. But the cool thing about it is that it's not entirely on your own to fix it, but that his spirit that can reside within us can provide that hope so we can be a part of that, that we can be that hope to the hopeless world. And so I'm not saying, uh, and scripture is not saying, that it's wrong to mourn or to feel hopeless. What I'm reminding us is, is that the hopelessness is not the end result. Hope is. And Christ gives that to us freely. And so as we, um, I was thinking about, like, even as a, if you're a musician and you're playing an instrument, you know, we, we oftentimes say that um, you need to practice to get better and stuff like that. And there's those moments where you're playing. And so when you're starting to play, you may be like, you know, you, you nail smoke on the water for the first time or something on guitar. Or, you know, Sweet Home Alabama, which that is a song. If I ever give you lessons, I will never teach you. There's two songs, Sweet Child of Mine and Sweet Home, Sweet Home Alabama. I will not teach you ever. Um, however, but when, you, when you're learning these songs and you're playing, you'll get these moments of hope, right? You're like, oh, I nailed that. That's good. But that's a fleeting moment. It's going to go away. And then you're going to see somebody like Alan Holdsworth or Guthrie Govin or some crazy radical guitar player that will just make you feel like you're the worst player in the world. Make you, make you question, why do I even pick up this instrument and play? And so you start to feel hopeless. And so as you feel hopeless, 
Does that mean you should just stop? Does that mean it's just over? No, you dedicate time to practice, to hone that skill. And this is what fasting can also do in um, working with the spirit in us. If you're taking the time to fast, if you're saying, I rejoice in this thing and I give it over to you, Lord, so I can pray and be with you, I can meditate and be with you, and you're opening that time for the spirit to speak, you're opening that time to be still, you're practicing the perspective of hope. You're practicing the time of saying, instead of you know, being mourning all the time, it's not that it's wrong to mourn, but just to say, I'm never gonna get out of this state and depend on God. You know, well, Oftentimes we're like, well, why, why can't God fix this? And one of the questions I ask people all the time is, have you even gone to him? You're gonna blame him for everything, complain about everything, but has there been any time given for him to talk, for him to speak? And so if you wanna get better at having hope, if you wanna get better at having a relationship with Christ, it's important that you make time to be with him. And not just to be with him, that you make time to be quiet. That you make time to not talk to him, say, here's my complaint, here's my problem. Because maybe that's what he's trying to change in you, is that what you see as a problem really isn't an issue at all. You know? Or maybe he's showing you growth that can happen and giving you hope that, yes, I know this is what you're going through, but I am with you. And that spirit resides in us. And that's a really, really crazy thought. That the God of the universe, the God of all things, humbles himself to a vulnerable state as a child, right? Like, as a child, we could have killed him as a culture. I mean, as an adult, we still did. But as a child, we could have killed him. But this is the God of the universe, puts himself in a position where his creation can kill him, humbles himself completely, and says that I'm gonna still, I'm gonna provide hope for you in the life that I live. And he does that, and he has the death that he does, and he's resurrected, and he will return again. But we have a God that doesn't just say these things to us. We have a God that doesn't just you know, say, hey, this is the fancy book of words that I say of wisdom and virtue and stuff like that. No, like he actually lived it. It wasn't just something that he you know, did to sound tough or to sound cool or to sound you know, like a good rhetorician. This was something that he practically lived. So he held up his side of the bargain. And so when he says to have hope in the spirit, and the spirit, this is that radical relief that I was talking about. This spirit literally lives and indwells within us. There's God himself indwelling within us. That's a crazy thought that if you give the time to be still, if you give the time to have hope or allow hope to flourish, God is already within you if you accept that. You know? and, and he will resound within you and provide that hope in that direction. And so for the first week of Advent and the topic of being hope, I want us to focus and reflect this weekend, this month, on that Christ will return and that hope is not just found then in his return, but can be found and dwell within us through the power of his Holy Spirit today and forever. And it just comes down to a simple thing of just ask. We read about how in many passages, if you ask for wisdom, it's given to you. This is another thing. If you ask for hope and his spirit to dwell within you, that'll be given to you as well. And so this season, I want us to fast. I want us to read scripture, not just scripture, read on the tradition of the church, why Christmas is what it is. Maybe you'll stop, maybe we as a culture will stop arguing about Starbucks cups and learn our history as to why Christmas became the way that it did. Because there is a lot of depth to that that's far more important than whether or not a cup is red and says Merry Christmas or Happy Holiday. May we repent. May we love each other. May we seek joy and peace and have hope. These are the virtues that Christ represents, and these are the virtues that during the season we should be representing. So fighting over trivial things like that probably isn't the best way to represent Christ. And so speaking of um, having scriptures and reading and stuff like that, I thought we would do 
a brief liturgy. Uh, I thought my font was big enough. I do not think that it is now after seeing it up on here. Um, but this is actually from the United Methodist Church, and this is the liturgy that they do today. So the Korean church, they will do some form of this liturgy today. So I thought we would do it. So how liturgy works is I will read off a passage, um, which like I said before, is based off of scripture. And then you guys will respond. And the respond, you collectively will say together, is that today we give thanks to the prophets among us. Can everybody read that? Is everyone good? Because I, I have no problem making it all up close and have a little mosh pit for liturgy. All right? So, <laughs> so I'm going to read off the first part, and then you guys will respond. So for today, the people who walked in darkness and have seen a great light, those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us, Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Today we remember the prophets of old who demanded to be heard, who dared to speak of a child to come, unexpected liberator of the people, vulnerable incarnation of the holiest of holies, a new name for God. And then you will say... That's pretty cool. I love liturgy. So good. So I'm keeping that. We'll keep it brief. But the cool thing about this is what this represents is this is kind of how Christ is, right? During, um, or how liturgy should be understood to some degree, is that there's a declaration being made, like a prophet would. He declares, hey, this is what scripture says. This is what your Lord says. And as a group, you respond back doing what? Reciting, saying, yes, I understand what scripture says. This is what the prophets went through. This is how Christ, this light, became the darkness and provided hope. We are collectively, as a church, honoring God, both with scripture and our voices and as a body of Christ. And so what I want to leave us with today is a verse I brought up a little bit ago, and that's at Romans 15, 13. And so may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by his power of the Holy Spirit. So again, this spirit resides in us and can reside in us. And it's not a matter of what you do or don't do. It's a matter of will you allow God to do what he said he already, already is doing in you and what he wants to do for this world. By doing so, that hope that is in Christ will resound in you. And that hope that needs to be in a hopeless world will be seen. So as we go through this holiday season and we spend time going through Advent, have hope. Remember that that hope is in Christ and that, that Christ wants to be with us through this season, not just on a couple of days. Is he going to come up for communion? All right, I'll pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to speak freely about your scripture, to celebrate a season without persecution. Lord, that is a gift that has been given to us that I think we oftentimes overlook. Lord, I pray that as we go into this season, we spend time with our family, Lord, um, that we would have hope and maybe the relative that has always been on our nerves, Lord, that we would be able to bring about peace and joy in all relationships. Lord, I pray that we would be ambassadors of your peace, that as we go into our families, we aren't known for the person that causes the argument, but the one that settles it, the one that is wise enough to walk away, and sometimes the one that is just wise enough to not say anything at all and just listen. I pray that we would honor you not just on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day, but for this entire month. Lord, I pray that if we're in a place of hopelessness, that we would take the time now before communion to reflect, 
and ask you to provide hope for us, ask you to provide perspective. Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts to fast so that way we may understand feast when it happens. And Lord, I pray that in all that we do, we can glorify you. And I thank you that one day all creation will be, will be restored, that we will be united with you fully. And I thank you that we're able to celebrate here in city right now, Lord. Lord, it's in your name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.